Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 9 to be exact. And that's on page 1504 if you're using a pew Bible. It's a very familiar part of Scripture. One that you probably don't even need to look up. Because many of you know it from memory. You know, anytime we're talking about prayer as we are in this series leading up to Easter, at some point we need to take a look at the Lord's Prayer. The prayer that Jesus taught His disciples, and in teaching His disciples so they could record it in His Word, He now teaches us. I learned this prayer as a child. I have prayed this prayer as part of worship in church for over 50 years. Hundreds and hundreds of times. But it never loses its meaning. If we pray this prayer rather than say this prayer. You know, the struggle we have in our church sometimes is there are certain things that we do on a weekly basis. We do them routinely. Communion is one of those things. Every Sunday at the end of our service, we will take this bread and take this cup, and we'll say virtually the same words every Sunday, and you'll do the same thing every Sunday. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves doing it as a matter of routine rather than as an act of devotion and commitment to God. And the same is true with the Lord's Prayer. We say that every Sunday. Oh, we didn't say it today, did we? Did anyone notice that I missed that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you did, Mike. I'm surprised you didn't go, excuse me, what about the Lord's Prayer? You know, I was waiting for it. I was waiting. Um, do you think that I just forgot? Do you think that I'm just being rebellious and said, I'm not doing it today? Because they expect me to do it. Or could it be that I wanted to make a point? <laughs> whether you missed it or not, whether it really bothered you or not, that whether we said the Lord's Prayer probably depend upon whether you say the Lord's Prayer or do you pray the Lord's Prayer. If you simply say it every week, because, okay, the pastor's saying it, we're supposed to recite the words with him. That's not praying. It becomes the Lord's words <laughs> rather than the Lord's prayer. It's only if you stop. Uh, when, when I say the Lord's prayer, I try to pause a little bit between phrases instead of just boom, boom, rolling on, because I want you to give a moment's thought and reflection to what that means. What each phrase of that prayer means. Because I don't want you every Sunday to say the Lord's Prayer together. We want you to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And it might help you do that. We're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, there are two places in Scripture that we find the Lord's Prayer. There's Matthew 6 and there's Luke 11. And um, I'm going to read it from Matthew 6 because it has the fuller um, expression of it. 
then we'll, we'll look over at Luke 11 in a minute. Matthew 5, or Matthew 6, verse 9, says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now Matthew puts this prayer in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a kind of a collection of Jesus' teachings. We don't know for sure if Jesus said all these things in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 all at once. Or if they are different things he said at different times and Matthew just chose to collect them together and put them here. We do know from Luke 11 that there is a very specific context to Jesus teaching his disciples this prayer. Over in Luke 11:1, 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, and he goes on to give them what we just read earlier. See, Luke tells us that whether it was on the mount during the Sermon on the Mount or at another time, Jesus was praying. And his disciples were observing Jesus at prayer. And they noticed that Jesus did not pray like they had been taught to pray in the synagogue. Or that the religious leaders of the Jews prayed. They tended to pray ritual prayers. You, you, you memorized prayers. You said them at certain times for certain things under certain circumstances. You had a prayer for this and a prayer for that. And you learned those prayers. And when you prayed, you prayed one of those prayers. But they noticed Jesus didn't pray those prayers. He didn't pray their memorized prayers. He prayed with, an, with a personal, intimate connection to God. He prayed out of his heart. He prayed out of the, what was in his life at that time. He prayed earnestly. He prayed fervently. He prayed expectantly, believing that God would answer his prayer. And they wanted that. He said, we want to pray like that. But you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, a number of Jesus' disciples had been disciples of John the Baptist previously. And perhaps John had taught about prayer as well. And so they said, Lord, teach us. And whenever we read something in the Bible where it says Jesus taught his disciples, we should, we should pay attention to that. Because we are now Jesus' disciples. And what he teaches them through the pages of his word, he seeks to teach us. So this was not just a prayer recorded in Scripture so that the church 2,000 years later, people would memorize this prayer and recite it together. Jesus wants us to learn to pray just like he taught his disciples to pray. And the first thing he does is teach them to focus their faith. Focus your faith. He begins the prayer, Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. How do you start your prayers? Think about that a moment. What do you usually say? Oh God, dear Father, Lord, help. <laughs> I mean, how, how do you start your prayer? How do you address God? Uh, a lot of people have never thought about that. You know, I didn't give that a lot of thought. I've used various ways to address God when I begin to pray. And Jesus said there are two things you should always remember when you turn to God in prayer. The first thing I want you to know is that God is your Father, your Heavenly Father. You are not addressing a distant, impersonal, cosmic, divine being. You are talking to the God who created you and who loves you so much that he sent Jesus into the world to give his life so that you can be in relationship with him forever. He is your father, God. And he wants us to make that, that's what allows us to have the intimate personal connection. That's what made Jesus' prayers different than many of the prayers of the Jewish leaders. He talked to God as if he was talking to someone who loved and cared for him who's standing right there in the room. Very intimate, very personal. But on the other hand, don't get casual about it. <laughs> See, that would tend to lead us to get very casual and loose about our praying. He said, never forget, it's our Father in heaven who is holy. Hallowed be his name. He is still a holy and righteous God. And you need to be aware of the fact that you're a sinner standing in front of a holy God when you come to him in prayer. Don't lose that. And that's why later on we're going to have to address the question of our sin in the prayer. But it, there's this kind of creative tension between the close, personal, intimate God our Father and, and God who is holy and righteous. He said keep those two things in mind. Focus your prayer that way. Then the next thing he does is help us to prioritize our priorities. Prioritize our priorities. We all have priorities. If I passed out sheets of paper and say, list the five most important things in your life. What are your five priorities right now? You would all be able to do that. And the question would be, where is God? on the list. Now today, because you're in church and the preacher asks you to do it, there's a good chance God's going to be number one. <laughs> but the question is, what if this is Wednesday? And you're in the middle of a busy, hectic day, and you're dealing with problems, and you're dealing with things, and everything's not working out the way you think it should or want it to, and you're just having one of those run and, and do kind of days that you can't wait till it's over. Where does God fit then? Where is he going to fall on the priority list? Jesus said, in order for your prayer to be effective, in order for your prayer to truly connect with God, you have to be willing to give him the place that is rightfully his. And that's number one. That's on the throne. You know, they talk about in, on our heart we each have a throne and who sits on that throne. If it's me, I'm in trouble. If it's anybody else, I'm in trouble. 
There's only one person who should be there, and that's God. And that's why he says, once you focus your faith, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, you pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the doing of your will in my life is the most important thing. And he tells us to acknowledge that before God, because if we acknowledge it, that means we understand that's where it needs to be. The doing of your will in my life, right here, right now, today, is the most important thing in my life. Nothing else matters as much as that. See, that's prioritizing your priorities. Part of the purpose of prayer is to help me get back the priority of putting God where he needs to be. And then he talks about some of the other priorities we have in our life. He gets very practical. Give us today our daily bread. I really like to start with that one. <laughs> I like to lead off with that one. But I think Jesus has a better idea. Why don't you focus your faith? Why don't you make sure you're aligned with his will and purpose first? And then let's talk about what you need what you want, what you desire, what's going on in your life. That's daily bread. That's kind of a general term for all of that. You're not just praying for bread. Because we all know the Bible says you can't live by bread alone. You've got to have peanut butter and jelly. Amen? Amen? You do. You do. So you're not just praying for bread. When he says, give us today our daily bread, what are your basic needs? Lord, I've got... I've got $500 worth of bills and $300 worth of income. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. I need help. Lord, I've got some problems in this relationship, and I don't know how to fix them. I don't know how to resolve them. I need your help. You know, that's all daily bread. What are the basic needs of your life at that moment when you're praying? That's your daily bread. But you also have some basic spiritual needs. Earlier, we focused our faith by saying, Our Father is holy. Hallowed be your name. And that causes me during my time of prayer to focus on my sinfulness. Forgive us our debts. As we forgive those who trespass against us. I mixed it up a little, didn't I? Isn't it funny? Have you ever, don't you love it when you're in like a community setting and we say the Lord's Prayer together and some say sin, some say debt, some say trespasses and you get to that point and it sounds like we're all speaking in tongues. <laughs> forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, it just kind of all mingles. It's always kind of fun when that happens. Uh, but it doesn't matter. If you want to ask God to forgive your sins, your debts, your trespasses, just pick one. Because they all mean the same thing. The thing that is not the will of God in your life, the thing that dishonors God, the thing that disobeys God's word, the thing that draws you away from him rather than bring you closer to him, that is your sin, your debt, your trespass, whatever you choose to call it. And as part of our prayer, we deal with that. Because God is not only my Father in heaven, He is a holy and righteous God. And the only way I can be in relationship with Him is if I deal with His junk in my life. 
So part of my prayer is to focus on that, to own it, to confess it, to repent of it, and say, Lord, take this away. It's toxic. This is radioactive right here, and it's got to go or it's going to kill me. And then he throws in that pesky line that I kind of wish he'd left out. As we also have forgiven our debtors. His word makes it clear that, it's, that forgiveness has to be a two-way street. It cannot be a one-way street. If all you do is ask to receive forgiveness, but are withholding the giving of forgiveness, you've got a major spiritual problem. You've got a heart blockage. And what happens if you get a big enough heart blockage? You have a heart attack. We don't want to have a heart attack. And the way we avoid that is we have to own the fact that there is certain bitterness, resentment, anger in our life that is causing us to withhold forgiveness. And we've got to deal with that. And we deal with it by asking God to help us deal with it. I don't have it in me sometimes to forgive the people I need to forgive. But God does. And if I turn it over to him, he will help me do it. It may take a while. It may require me to work through it. But it will happen. And when we pray his forgiveness, coupled with that should always be examine my heart and show me any unforgiveness in my life. Because that will kill me too. It's got to go. So we prioritize our priorities by asking that his will be done first and foremost in our life. We ask him for the basic needs of our life, our daily bread. We ask him to take care of this spiritual problem in our life, our sin. And then he said, you also have a, a need for guidance. And allow me to guide you each day through the, through the spirit that I've placed in your life, the Holy Spirit. He said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, that's simply praying, Lord, whatever path I choose, let it be a path that brings me closer to you. And if it's not, turn me around. God will lead us. He will guide us in the right path if we allow him to. We can stubbornly resist and choose our own way. But we will pay the price for that. He wants us to focus our faith. He wants us to prioritize our priorities. And then finally, we reinforce our resolve. You know what resolve is? When, when you resolve to do something, it's more than saying, yeah, I think I'll do that. It's saying, I'm going to do that. I am committed to doing that. That is going to become a focus in my life to do that. It's you, res you make a resolution. You resolve to do that. And we should never end our prayers with a sense of, okay, I've prayed. I don't know what's going to come of it, but I prayed. We should always end our prayers with a, with a resolve that this is what's going to happen in our life. What I've just prayed, that's what's going to happen. I believe it. I trust you for it. 
It's going to happen. And that's why you notice in here there's no ending to the prayer. Anybody catch that? I wonder if Jesus forgot. I mean, it's kind of weird to end a prayer, but deliver us from the evil one. I'm done. Yeah. I mean, don't you at least have to say amen? That's how you're supposed to end prayers. We all know that. But see, Jesus wasn't praying when he said this. If you remember the context, Jesus was answering their question, teach us to pray. Well, when you pray, this is how you should pray. And he's telling them the various parts of prayer that they should focus on. But he wasn't actually praying. He was teaching them how to pray. Then later on, as the church decided, well, we want to use this prayer. We want to actually pray this prayer. Then in some of the later manuscripts of Matthew, those other words appear. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. And see, those words reinforce our resolve. We have, we have prayed these things. And we've prayed them to the one to whom belongs all power and glory. And amen. And do you know what amen means? Amen means so be it. Or if you're a Beatle fan, let it be. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there, I'm sorry. So be it. You are resolved that this prayer is going to stand. That you meant what you prayed and that God is going to act upon what you prayed. And so as an act of prayer, I want to close talking about the Lord's Prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer. I don't want you to say the Lord's Prayer. I don't want you to recite the Lord's Prayer. But I want you to join me in praying aloud the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that's a prayer. And it's a prayer we can only truly pray if we have put our hope and trust in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, if Christ is not in your heart and in your life, that prayer probably doesn't carry with it a lot of meaning. But it's when we have that relationship with Christ that, that makes God our Heavenly Father, that allows us to pray that prayer in a way that holds deep meaning for us. And if you're here this morning and don't have Christ in your heart, have not received Him, there's no reason to walk out of here in the same condition. It would be my privilege to receive you in this time of invitation to pray with you. 
and to lead you in what we call a confession of faith that simply says, I believe in Jesus and accept him as my Lord and Savior. If you're ready to take that step of faith, I would invite you to come. As we stand together, we're going to sing hymn number.